0: Well, Adam, it's good to have you uh, here with us uh, this evening. And then now it's going to be heard on Sunday morning. Our story is an interesting story of how we got to know each other. Uh, I met you at an engaging culture uh, through a gospel lens evening. And I just remember feeling like there's some questions I think I would like to ask you based on some of the questions you were asking us. And so we ended up in my living room and uh, you shared uh, something about your story that uh was pretty profound, which uh, relates to um, this series in Genesis. Uh, Tell me how you became engaged with the idea of wanting to have a Bible, wanting to read it when you had no biblical knowledge or context prior to that. Very Um, little. Yeah, very little. (laughs) So tell us how you got there.
1: Uh, Okay. Um, I picked up the Bible with intent on learning something from it, and I started with the Gospels. Um, I read through the Gospels, really interested in, in this character, Jesus Christ, that that I've come to know so well. Um, but once I got to Acts, things became a little more challenging for me. Uh, there's a lot of theological arguments and a lot of church history that started to enter in and, you know, not having yeah. any idea what I was really engaging with. Um, I decided to go back and start from the beginning because I was still on this mission to read from the Bible. I know there's wisdom here. I know there's something that you know, two billion people have been believing in and reading from and yep. praying about for so long that it shouldn't just be cast aside. So I went into the Bible reading, looking for truth uh, and looking for something powerful. When I when I went back to Genesis, I think the first thing that struck me was original sin, this concept of we all have a fallen nature ever since the Garden of Eden. And until I engaged with that concept and really understood that it wasn't just, you know, things that I've done wrong in my past or things that Tony has done wrong in his past, but it's something that we've all been inherited. We've all inherited this concept of our nature, our man, our human nature. I couldn't really comprehend what Jesus' sacrifice for us really meant and how monumental of, of a sacrifice it was. So that's, that's really what started um, really jumped out to me in Genesis. And you see Cain and Abel, you know, the first two people that were born, they were estranged from one another as brothers. And I feel that if we see that today, we're all estranged to each other in, in some way or another. And Christ calls us to repent of that and to follow his ways. And Cain and Abel, you know, they came and brought their sacrifices to God. God favored one and the other, but neither escaped death from their sacrifice. And I think understanding that was a revelation That was a revelation for me. Because then I started thinking about what is the ultimate sacrifice? What would be the greatest sacrifice? Here's Abel giving up, you know, seemingly better sacrifices than Cain and as it's depicted in Genesis. But what would be the greatest sacrifice that anyone could give? And I came to this idea that, well, God gave us his perfect son. And not to sacrifice for anything but us, yeah. <laughs> and there can be nothing greater than that. And that's that was when that was when I really understood salvation, and um, that's how Genesis impacted me and mm-hmm. understanding the gospel.
0: You were sharing these things with me at my house, and you said I, you just kind of sum, summed it all up. And just basically said, so I guess I identify as Christian. I don't know if you remember <laughs> saying that, and I remember laughing as like I've never heard that phrase before. But um, uh, but I said, well, how would you like to know that you're truly a child of God? And I went to Romans chapter ten, uh, verses nine and ten, if you remember, and we talked about if you confess with your mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And um, and you know, I read that to you and I remember your head going down and, and then coming up and you put your hands up and go, I believe, I believe. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Is to believe. And imagine having grown up without any context whatsoever to who God is and to why Jesus came. And that is the challenge of the journey of most of America and most of the world. They start from a premise of not knowing anything. And so as ambassadors of the gospel, it's important for context. I mean, Adam was reading in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and became enamored with Jesus got into the book of Acts and got really confused and said, that's when I needed to go back and read the beginning. And then that whole original sin idea of, uh, the concept of this nature is something we inherited. And then on top of that, to understand the nature of God and then sacrifice. And that Cain and Abel, I mean, I would have never thought Cain and Abel's story would help somebody understand the cross. But how beautiful is that, right? And so uh, the story that Adam shared, and by the way, it's not lost upon me that we're going into a series on Genesis and we had a testimony from Adam. <laughs> so uh, I, I, th- I find that beautiful that God used the story of Adam to teach Adam uh, his love for, for mankind. Um, the, the fullness of this Interview was about 15-20 minutes. Uh, The entirety of that that interview can be found in this week's email. There'll be a link. You can tap on that link and be able to see the rest of it. Uh, And because I would love for you to hear more of the story. Having said that, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles uh, to Genesis chapter one. If you do not have a Bible. Rushers are coming up right now, and on top of that, uh, you can also utilize a Bible app that you can find in your app store, and it's the Version Bible app. If you download that, go into the events tab there, you'll find LEFC, and tap on that, and you'll get the text for today, and some of the notes as well. So as you heard Adam say, he understood then original sin, he understood sacrifice, and he began to understand god and that is probably the most important thing is to understand who he is then that becomes a mirrored reflection of who we are and who we are not. And so it begins to help us understand the context we're in. Because without Genesis, we regularly draw upon Genesis. If you've read Genesis, you don't realize how much each of every, every of your days you are go, drawing back. Your understanding of God has been formed by Genesis. Your understanding of us has been formed by Genesis. And, and without that, you would be operating very differently in your worldview. So with that being said, uh, I want to read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 25. And so we're going to get, last week we were in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning God. So he is the pre-existent one. He is the one that, that always has been. And so that's a very fascinating thing for a finite mind to conceive of something that is outside of time, has no beginning, has no end. My mind always implodes when I try to fathom what God did forever before he created the world. I mean, that's a very fascinating thing to think. Okay, always, 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 always. And then somewhere and always, he starts time. And that, I can't get it. Because for me, everything starts somewhere and ends somewhere. And so... We have to realize our limitations as finite beings trying to understand an infinite God. But I believe Genesis 1 will get us down the road a little bit. So let's begin by reading in verse 3. It says this, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water from the vault from the water above it. And and it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And let them be the lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning. The fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with the water that teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the air. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. I will stop there because next week we'll look into the creation of man. There was evening, there was morning, and there was the end of a day. Much about this text can bring questions, a logical question. How was it that he created light and dark, but yet sun and moon and stars had not been created? In fact, he even creates the vegetation on the earth before sun and moon are in the skies. You also have to ask, well, What does this day mean if there was no sun? After all, day is required to circle around the sun, is it not? So then you have, well, I'm sorry, circle around the sun, rotate in one whole span as you're going around the sun, that would be a year. But the point is this. When God gave this creation story to us, it was to tell us what he did. Absolutely, everything I just read is 100% absolutely true. But it does not answer all of our questions about how and sequencing and does this all, like when you get into chapter two and three, it starts talking about before things that grow and so on. It leaves a lot of questions of which I'm not going to answer today. But we have to then ask the big question, Why did God give us that much? Why did God give us the creation narrative? And I would say that the creation is the big revealer of our origins. And I will make the case in this sermon that origins matter. And our desire to understand our origins is innate. God gave us and created us to want to know our beginning. But in this particular creation story and its revelation to our origins, it does give us some things that are really important that if without the idea of God, we'd be left wondering. So first of all, what's very profound about this text, that what we are given and without it we would be wondering, is that there is a creator God with the power to speak things into existence that never existed before. The ability to speak something where nothing was and to speak it into existence is completely mind-blowing. Now, we know the power of words. Words can move masses. Words can cause people to do a lot of things. I could ask all of you to stand up right now and most of you will. Some of you will just sit back and say, that's stupid. And that's okay but you're doing a willful response. There's not much power in my words. There's just politeness on many of your parts. But when God speaks and there's nothing, and then all of a sudden something, that is different from anything you or I could ever speak. Words can be used to cause horses to respond to your voice, but the horse is still more powerful. Animals respond to our voices. But then again, they still have their own independence. But nothing you or I could ever do could cause something to exist. Just not possible by the very spoken word. And that is something to appreciate that if you had no context that there is a God, it's good news to know that there was something so powerful that was capable of merely speaking and things Happened. It also tells you that all things, all matter, all things in existence, living or not living, find their existence and source from God. He is also the source of life for all living things. So He had breath, and when He spoke, He gave breath and the ability to breathe to things that were living, which is why you can see that he put plants first because we know what plants provide, oxygen. So he gave life and breath to all living things. So therefore, at the very cause, the initial cause, the source of all living things is God himself. But here's something else that might be significantly important to somebody who has never been exposed to scripture, and that is this that all things created were created originally without flaw. We make that just under natural understanding because we've been exposed to the Bible. But imagine if we did not have that and you're left with just what you see. Would you be able to say things were without flaw? No, you can see the brokenness, especially in humanity, and you can see how things on this earth wither and die. Things aren't perfect. There is disease. There is sickness. There is calamity. There's tragedy. To say that in its original form there was no flaw is a key piece of th- of evidence and knowledge that needs to be received by somebody who's never received scripture. Now, I say this with the importance of what comes next, and that is most Western governments, so all the Western civilization, have budgets where they are spending millions and in some cases billions to be able to discern Origins. They are spending money to try to understand where we came from. Millions, and in some cases billions, to just explain why and how. Now, in most cases, there is a built-in assumption that there isn't an intelligent designer. And I want to say right up front Science is not our enemy. Human beings denying the existence of God, that might be our enemy. But science, what is science meant to do? It's meant to discover truth. And if we believe that God is true, then science will eventually arrive at the right place. Sometimes it just takes them a while. But the reality is, is that as you test a hypothesis, an original thought is, is determined and then they start testing according to it and then they get down the line and sometimes 30 and 40 and 50 years down the line without, with an assumption there is no God and coming to the end and realizing their hypothesis isn't accurate, something's missing. And then they start another hypothesis, sometimes again, still determining there is no intelligent creator, they go down a ways, only to discover they run into another dead end. But along the way, clues are given to them as they study the science, to start pointing to there is a creator and it's God. But I have to ask you, if there's this, this hell-bent idea that we do not want to acknowledge that there's a creator God, why are we then spending millions to figure out our original Uh, origins as to why we are the way we are. What is the, why is there so much value to that that we would spend in almost every known civilization that has money and budgets? Why are they spending in this way? And I will give you this possible answer, and I think it's accurate. We spend the money to discover origins because if we can discover them, our hope is that it will provide purpose and significance for our existence. Don't believe me? Why do many of you spend money on Ancestry.com? I mean, does it really matter for how you live tomorrow or today by knowing all that's in your past? But we spend it. And here's the thing. It means something to us. And we draw something from it. When we go back, we begin to look and say, oh, that's why I'm me. That's why I'm wired the way I'm wired. Or a great sense of profound gratefulness (laughs) that I didn't turn out like my predecessors. And you realize what you've been rescued or that somewhere along the line, something shifted that made your family line different. But by knowing our original heritage, hope can sometimes be derived from it. That, you know, things were really bad, but look at how things have progressed. Or it can cause intrigue to understand more because it starts telling your story. And then your hope is that maybe it'll give me some kind of purpose. So I haven't, I've been a little bit of a cheapskate. I haven't paid Ancestry.com. I haven't done a DNA check to see where I'm from. Although, quite frankly, if you handed me the money, I would do it and enjoy it. All right? I would enjoy it. I just haven't chosen to spend the money for it. But I have done research, free research, the good kind, And I discovered that when you trace the Hunt family tree back, we entered into this country, or my direct line anyway, in Charleston, South Carolina, which was the southernmost port for the English colonization. So we came in there, and then we worked our way across the south and ended in Kentucky where we were hillbillies. Uh, We've come a long way. We wear shoes now, we have education, and we've we've gotten out into society. Although probably not all my relatives, but at least the ones that I've known, we've done all right. But they became pioneers. They moved into places where people had not been. They didn't settle along the East Coast. They kept finding, looking for better places to raise their families. Some of them were preachers. Some of them were farmers. Some of them had a quite the scandalous history, many of whom I am embarrassed to say I'm related to, some of whom I am greatly appreciative to be related to. But in the end of the day, why am I drawn to that? There's something that says we want to know, we we want to have Figure it out because we, I think there's this built-in desire that we're created to want to understand me as to how I even relate to going forward and how do I affect what's around me? What's my unique, because we want to find some level of uniqueness because there's so much humanity, they want to know that there's something of significance and purpose in me. I don't believe that's God-given. But in pursuing our origins, often there is a pursuit of that in denial that there is a creator God. And so we'll look for origin research without the concept of anything divine. But yet, as we do that, if you're willing to be an honest researcher, you find that over and over you keep, it keeps pointing back to a divine creator. In science, biologists, Often, many of them are atheistic. Some of that's the church's fault by the way we've treated science. But in the astrophysicist realm, there is a high level of belief as they've studied the expanse of the universe and that constantly points to there had to be some kind of original source and there had to be an instant by which everything came about And there's such order that says, and it was by a creator. Because there's no way that all this expansion would happen with the kind of order it does unless somebody put it into order. One astrophysicist named Robert Jastrow says this, at this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the highest mountain of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. He pulls himself over the rock and he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. (laughs) Now let me speak to that for just a moment. For the theologian who has been told and by faith receives that God is the creator. He is the source of all living things. And by him, all things were made at the very spoken word of his mouth. We get that, but we want to let the people that have been operating in ignorance of God to go on a journey that will eventually point them to the very place we already are. And when they reach that point and pinnacle and they discover, oh my goodness, there is a divine creator. We should be there welcoming them and pulling them to the top of the hill. And we should be grateful for their work because they're gonna explain a lot of things that that Genesis 1 doesn't tell us. All of it is true and as it points to God. Now, there's much in science that presumes no creator and they get off on some tangents that are wildly inconsistent and we know are not true. But we should be rooting them on saying, don't forget to consider an intelligent designer. Consider it. Throw that into your hypothesis and see what you learn. Francis Collins who was the leader of the Human Genome Project, which was able to unveil and uncode the DNA chain. So the most profound uh, scientific breakthrough probably in the last 100 years, because so much has happened as a result of us understanding now DNA. And as he has studied and looked at astrophysicist, now he's the, he'll be the first to tell you that he believes that there's a lot of misunderstandings within science, but he tells and begs us that are a part of the faith and believing churches to say, don't give up on us, we're still learning. Francis Collins believes in Jesus, he trusts in Jesus. He has some flawed understanding of creation, I will tell you that, so I'm not quoting him saying that he has got it all figured out, But he does say this. As he has studied what the astrophysicists have been able to discern from the expanding universe where they know that there was a very moment in time creation happened, and they know that there was an original creator because there's such order in it, he says to my unbelieving or ignorant astrophysicist, he says, you know what? Have you ever considered that there was a God whose lips are the very starting point by what you're now studying. It points back to a very single point and to a single source that provides order. Could you ever fathom that it's literally pointing back to the very spot where the lips of God spoke? Imagine that. How beautiful is that thought? And that's to a scientist trying to make sense of everything because again, he gets it. They are really built on human reasoning. And then occasionally they'll allow the idea that there's something greater than humans. And that's that's part of their journey. And were, we're gonna welcome them when they finally discover there is a God. But here's the thing. It's just not any God. And it's not just this powerful source that decided to create something on a whim. There is a God that is being described in Genesis 1 that the scientist needs to hear and to the person who has never been exposed to the gospels or to the scriptures, they need to understand that there isn't just this divine creature as if it was created and had a starting point, but rather this divine being that is infinite And there's some qualities about his infinites that we need to know. And in Genesis 1 alone, while there are many attributes of God we can ascribe, but in Genesis 1 alone, there are four primary attributes we can discern. First of all, that God is a God of ultimate power. A God of ultimate power. A recent movie came out about Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, sorry. It's a hard name to say in that German uh, tongue, but Oppenheimer created something pretty powerful, right? But he had to draw from things that were already here on this earth. He had to borrow from different resources, putting them together where they would react and create what we know as the atomic weapon. With God, not necessary. He didn't take different substances to all of a sudden work together to create Something, he simply spoke. Yes, he simply spoke, and that is a power that is beyond comprehension to speak something where there was nothing and to create existence. That is an important thing to understand within society, even when they do not know who that God is, because it should cause us then: well, if there is such a being as that kind of power, I better find out what he wants. Right? It causes me to, well, I better know who that is because if there is such a God, I better go on a journey to discover who he is. Secondly, we can discern from this, just like the astrophysicists would say, is that this creator is of impeccable order. The amount of order that it takes to cause billions of stars and multiple galaxies to operate without combusting upon one another is an order that none of us can appreciate. And just the mere thought of it should give us awe. Thirdly, the God that we can discover in Genesis one is a God of matchless brilliance. So let me tell you how unbrilliant I am. I had three C's in college. I had a couple of a, B's and the rest were A's. So that says, well, why three C's then if it was pretty much A's? Two of those three C's were in the sciences, in biology, one and two. And then uh, an arts class I was forced to take to expand my horizons, they say. I wrote a paper on the first thing when I was having to look at a bunch of nude uh, sculptures and I wrote how my eyes had been defiled. And from that point on, all my grades were awful from that teacher. But in that science class, I got to see things under a microscope that my eyes couldn't see on their own and I could see some of these building blocks of life. And you start realizing just how incredibly intricate just a single plant is. Yes, sir. And then, when you consider the human being. I took a group of students to the body exhibit that was traveling around the country and this is where basically you take the skin off, the outer coat, and you can see everything inside for all of its disgusting looks. But then you start to see how everything is incredibly designed. It's brilliant. And what really, really, really blows my mind is the brain. It is the ugliest piece inside these, this body. And somehow within all of that weird look and that jelly-like substance, electric, electric things are happening, which can cause me to speak, which can cause me to walk, which cause me to do all kinds of things. And all of that's happening from up here. All designed. All incredibly brilliant. And when you mess with one thing, it throws a lot of things off. He's brilliant. And nobody's like him. (laughs) But this God that we're talking about that is a God of ultimate power, of impeccable order, and matchless brilliance is also a God of faultless good. When we use the word good, it tends to be on the lower ranges of our, what should I say, uh, (laughs) superlatives, uh, things of, of ranking. You know, there's good, there's great, there's incredible, there's awesome, and then we throw in all kinds of other terms. And we just say, good, yeah, it's good, it's passable. Imagine using the word good, and this is what I love about it. God said it was good, done, finished, complete. Nothing needed to be added. It stands as it is, perfect. You see, with humanity, we have to rank our terms because we're not all equally skilled. And so then, when that happens, it's like, well, that's good. But when God, who has just done things with his very spoken word, with incredible order, and then also with this brilliance, when he says, it's good, as in done, nothing else needed. We don't have the appropriate term for that. That's why we have to use a term like faultless good to fully appreciate what we're saying here. So imagine if you had never read the scriptures and you read Genesis 1 and you start realizing there is a God, a creator God of power of incredible order and brilliance and he is faultlessly good. That's a God I wanna get to know. So my question to you is, do you have a good understanding of who God really is? I'm talking to believers and unbelievers in this room. Do you have a good understanding of God where you can appreciate just how incredible he is that he can speak something into existence, that you can appreciate the order by which he has created everything and the brilliance that is unmatched and that it's all built within this character that is faultlessly good. Do you realize if you do not have a good understanding of God, you are not only hindering yourself, but you are causing ignorance to prevail in a society that needs to know who God is. When we choose to not venture in, to understand God more, we are choosing to keep the world at bay from understanding who our God is. God has chosen us to be the ambassadors of who he is. There are things that he gives in creation that speaks to his existence and his qualities, but none greater than those who he made on the last part of day six, human beings which we'll talk about next week. When you realize the importance of understanding who God is, then we better lean in to make sure we get it well so we can communicate it clearly. My advice to you is to take some time in your personal time with the Lord this week and read Genesis one and begin to write down what you feel like it reveals about God and what impresses you about him and then take that list and consider what might somebody without Genesis need to hear from you just on what you've read today. I think that would be a healthy exercise for us all. But I'd also say, what do you actually draw upon from Genesis when you hear the most popular verse in all of scripture, John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God, infinite, creator, powerful, lover, good in all aspects. His son, who was also with him in the beginning, creator, powerful, good, They both loved what they created so much that when chaos had happened here on this earth because they had given and chosen to design humankind with the ability to choose to worship, that when brokenness came through sin, that original sin that we heard about from Adam's testimony, that when that came, God had a decision to make. He's either gonna choose to start over and eradicate Or he's going to choose to redeem, build a new bridge, fix that which was broken, so that they can be reconciled back to him. For God, the Creator God, so loved the world that he created that the part of that Creator God, as Jesus, his son, chose to become one of us, humbled himself to become a part of humankind, live the life that was intended by the first Adam, but the first Adam messed up, but he then perfected. But then the death penalty that was given to all those was sin, he took upon himself and paid the full payment for all those who would have faith in him. I don't think you can appreciate why Jesus would ever do that unless you knew that he himself was good. He himself was God. He himself had created us to have a relationship with him and that he himself was undeterred by the fallenness of humanity, that he would come and love on those that he had created because he is good and he draws us to himself. This creation story gets us only so far without the story of Jesus. In fact, in Romans chapter one, verse 20, it says this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made so that people, all people are without excuse. You see, General revelation that the creation out there, that when we walk out these doors and we see, and when we look at each other, it is enough to make each of us aware. There is a creator God. He is the source of all things. And he spoke you into being. And his nature is somehow discernible by what we see in all of us. But that's not enough it only makes us without excuse. We then have to teach the person that is now understanding that God is a holy God and he is powerful. That what creation leads people to tells us that we need to then learn the next part. That same God loved his creation and he died for it. You see, without an acknowledgement of God, what does the creation start to do? It starts worshiping itself. It starts worshiping the created rather than the creator. That's what happens when we deny God's existence because he created us to have relationship with him and to worship him. So my question to you is, do you know God? Do you know him as the creator God? Do you know him as the salvific God? The redemptive God? Because if you don't, there's a part of the story you still need to learn. Yes, sir. Let's pray. God, I know we're called to worship. And I know that we worship sometimes the wrong things instead of you. But God, by your incredible power and your unembraceable un- 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 presence, it goes way beyond just even this room. Would you now reveal yourself to each and every heart here in a new and special way that we may worship the one true God and that it will begin to spotlight Jesus, the Redeemer for mankind. So speak to our hearts now, I pray.
2: A God of creation There at the start, before the beginning of time Out the wonder of life, and as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath, the planet. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. God of Your are So alive, Would you stand with us and worship. If the stars were made to worship, so And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear, where you lost your life so I could find it here, if you let could melt to your desire. You're the one who never leaves the one behind.
3: Let's join with that creation. Respond to our Savior, giving him all praise. Sing, all creatures.
0: I'm a mere creature and I don't want to steal from God's glory. He is a great God. And he loves us so very much. Let's not miss out on the greatest story we have to tell. That in the beginning of creation, God created man after his own image, and he created us for relationship, and we have that opportunity to tell that to the world. All creatures of our God and King, we cannot miss the opportunities that are around us to share you wish to talk to someone about this more fully we have people in the encounter room that would be glad to talk with you concerning our great God and to pray with you to that God we're also going to have a baptism after the service in the baptistry afterwards and would love for you to hear what God's done to change a person's life but I'm going to let this service be concluded by Adam the one that gave his testimony he has a word to share with each of us And when that video remains standing, and when that video is done, it's not long. When that video is done, you are dismissed. So you know who we're recording this for. It's for the church. And you also know that uh, many in the church don't know Jesus. You would like to give a personal message to the one who doesn't know Jesus. You said you'd like to do that. What would be the message to somebody who's searching right now?
1: you know for a long time i wasn't a believer and as i said at the beginning of the interview my my contemporaries wanted to toss out the gospel wanted to toss out the bible as if it's something we don't need anymore but i know in my heart that there's more to this than just tradition there's more to this than just stories with morals because that's what I used to believe. There's a truth in Jesus Christ that I've been searching for my whole life and that I'll surrender to. And I don't know if I can get that across to everyone on camera in just a few words, but
0: if you look for it, it's there. Received. And for those of us that know Jesus, have had His Word and learned His Word. Is there any parting thoughts you would want to share with us? If if you've been a
1: believer for your whole life, you've known Jesus, um, and and I know many people that way. Uh, it it could be Genesis can be something that almost seems menial or or mundane to an extent. I think uh, at least that's been my mm-hmm. interaction with certain with certain believers. And um, just know that there is important knowledge to be learned about the doctrine of salvation. In Genesis, it's there, and even if it's something that you've grown up and known, and it's something that you're familiar with, just understand that for non-believers, it's it can add so much context too. So it can better help you get across the gospel. Yeah. Um, so I think that to me would be the best thing I could say to somebody who who already knows and understands and accepts has accepted Jesus Christ into their life. It's it, these are important stories to get the full context Amen. of the sacrifice that was made for our for our sins for our life.
0: Amen.